How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the JEDcast. I'm your host, Claremont Vice Mayor Jed Liano, also chair of the Claremont Lincoln University MPA Advisory Council. I am joined today by my co-host, Dr. Audrey Jordan. Hey, Jed. I'm so glad to be here with you today, representing Claremont Lincoln University and the Masters of Public Administration program. Jed, just still thrilled and delighted to be here with you as our MPA Advisory Council Chair and with the opportunity today have an amazing conversation. I'm really excited about today's episode. You know, the JEDcast is Dialogues with Changemakers, and we talk to people who were invited to join our MPA Advisory Council. They all in their own capacities in government or in policy work on the front lines of some very hard-hitting issues. And that brings me to today's episode, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, rubber's um, hitting the road. Yes. Yeah, we, you know, we've had some great conversations with folks from our council already. And obviously, right now, when you have any conversation about politics or government, it starts and ends with COVID. And who better to talk about how that's impacting people's lives than with the three mayors that we have on our advisory council? Indeed, indeed. We say all politics is local and how local can you get, right? The leaders who have the responsibility of tackling this huge history-making series of pandemics together at the same time in their communities with business, nonprofits. I can't wait to hear what they have to say about how they've managed to do this. Well, you know, the funny thing is, uh, Audrey, is that these three people individually are already awesome interviews. I mean, Indeed. we have with us uh, Farah Khan, the, the mayor of Irvine. She was the first woman of color elected to the Irvine City Council and the first Muslim woman ever elected mayor in Irvine. She used to work in the Bay Area in biotech, and she was executive director of the Newport Mesa Irvine Interfaith Council. And then she uh, ran for council and then eventually ran for mayor. And that in and of itself could be an awesome story. Yeah, I um, want to hear that story. Yeah, we also have with us uh, Tim Sandoval, my buddy in Pomona. Tim was overwhelmingly elected mayor um, in his first term in 2016, was reelected in 2020, had something overwhelming like 63% of the vote. And before running for mayor, he founded a nonprofit, Bright Prospect which has helped 2,000 at-risk youth go to college. And in addition to that, he's been on a number of different boards and commissions in Pomona, a really strong and decorated legislative history. They've passed a cannabis ordinance. They've opened Hope for Home homeless shelter. They've eliminated 20 plus miles of truck routes to improve air and uh, noise pollution. So uh, I'm really looking forward to hear from Tim. Yeah, he's and, not busy. I mean, a mayor, <laughs> a board, a nonprofit. Oh my god. That's goodness. right. And not only that, he he has uh he has a like six month old baby, right? So <laughs> you know, so he'll be he'll be on light sleep when he when he joins us today. Uh also with us is Bobby Singh Allen, the mayor of Elk Grove. Um uh, yes. Bobby is the first sick American woman elected mayor in the United States. Mm. And before running for mayor in Elk Grove, she was two-term trustee of the Elk Grove Unified School District. She sat on numerous community group boards like the Elk Grove Food Bank and also the Elk Grove Teen Center. And she's also a commissioner for Visit California. So a really decorated crew of people that it, serve as mayors on our council, but it's not just about them and, and who they are, but it's about this moment. Yes, They are the mayors fielding phone calls at City Hall yes. in the middle of this once in a hundred year pandemic. So how they're dealing with it, how they're making sure equity is best served in the way lunches are given out, in the way you know, you know, they're dealing with all of the normal policies like sanitation and parking and business permits and policing. And how do they deal with that right now? What do you want to hear today, Audrey? I'm curious to know what's on your mind. Yeah, I mean, Jet, all of that and the fact that while this pandemic's going on, we've got all the uprisings and the racial unrest and all three of these people are people of color having right. to engage in these towns with the diversity of people and handling all that in the midst of the pandemic too. So, you know, I, I'd be curious to hear a little bit about how they've been able to tackle both these pandemics, endemics at the same time. And you know, something really funny, uh, Audrey, is that in a lot of cities, 
the mayor position is a ceremonial placeholder position where you'll have a number of city council members, just like mine in Claremont. You have a number of city council members elected to the city council. And the position of mayor is passed around. It's, it's handled for one year by one member of the council. And then it rotates. But these three mayors come from elected mayor seats. Yeah. Uh, these are the folks who ran citywide for the job. Um, and one was reelected, Tim Sandoval. That's right. And yeah. so we've got, we've got two newcomers. Yeah. All three are people of color. Uh, they represent a wide variety of all kinds of different cities, geographically, demographically. But more importantly, um, I'm curious to hear how they handle the situation, how they're overseeing and managing their organizations, yes. how they're yes. keeping morale up, yeah. how, how they're trying to get people to the finish line, because we hope that the finish line of COVID is, is coming up soon. And and what does that look like for different cities and for different communities? Yeah, and with the budgets being devastated the way they have been and the lack of help from the federal government, which may change going forward. Right. Yeah, I, 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 I can't wait to hear the conversation, Jed. You know, the, this also, just one last thing before we get into our interviews with our three mayors. Um, also, just a really fascinating piece to me is that you know, a lot of the students who are are in the MPA program are either in some way in government or in some nonprofit agency that deals with government yeah, in some interface that. way. And, yeah. you know, to hear the perspective of this moment right now from these mayors, I think will be a lesson that the students and the communities at large can take with them going forward, no matter when the issue or the time. And let's get to it. Introducing our three mayors, the Mayor's Roundtable, Mayor Farrah Khan from Irvine, Tim Sandoval from Pomona, and Bobby Singh Allen from Elk Grove. And we're going to talk about the issues that they are facing in their communities, specifically as it relates to COVID. So the first kind of obvious thing, but every community is different. I'd love to hear all of you chime in. I'd love you to tell me what do you think has been your community's biggest challenge during COVID and how are you trying to handle it and face it? Bobby, you want to start us off? Sure, why not? Pleasure to be here with you, Jed. Thank you for the invite. I can't imagine that my community is unique to other communities and the state of California and really our nation. So I'm leading on what's called economic recovery from COVID-19. All of our communities have been suffering, namely our small businesses and our working families. So during the campaign trail, I actually campaigned on leading on economic recovery very specifically, I have formed an economic recovery task force, which is made up of business owners, labor leaders, nonprofits, and others to essentially work together and in about 70 to 80 days, come up with a blueprint of recommendations and resources that will really help our struggling businesses as well as our working families. As a former board member for the Elk Grove Food Bank, I can tell you that the need and the food insecurity of our community has grown dramatically. And it's just heartbreaking seeing all of our friends and neighbors in great need. So right now that is the number one priority is leading on an economic recovery for our community uh, for COVID-19. Thank you, Bobby. Tim, why don't you tell us in Pomona, what's the biggest challenge yeah. you're facing COVID related? Yeah. So just a little background. Pomona is the seventh largest city in LA County. Uh, it's a very urban working class community, uh, a large Latino population. And when the pandemic first started, it became a part of our consciousness. One of the first things that I did is I brought together about 25 community leaders from large institutions to community-based organizations. And I didn't have the answers by any means of the imagination, but our 25 community leaders put our heads together and really thought about what's likely going to happen over the course of the next few months, not knowing how long this is going to take. And that group grew to over 50 community leaders from our school district to our city, to the Fairplex, uh, where the, we host the LA County Fair, to our hospitals, but also to the grassroots organizations that are directly engaged with the community. And out of that process, we created five subcommittees, one of them being as an example, a basic needs subcommittee that was just focused on food and housing. 
We wanted to make sure that no family during this period went without food. And so we, through an effort of one of our council members, working with a group called God's Pantry, we are delivering food every Tuesdays and Thursdays to residents throughout this community. On top of other efforts that are happening, we also formed a fundraising committee because we knew that we were really concerned about the impact on our undocumented population. Not sure if they were going to be eligible for federal funds. At the time, I don't know that it was called the CARES Act dollars, but that's what we know it as. And we raised over a quarter of a million dollars to make sure that whatever our documented families receive, that our undocumented families receive the same amount for rental assistance. So this has been ongoing. We meet every Wednesday. We're looking at health and wellness. So we're trying to look at it from the lens of the most vulnerable community members. And it's not just the mayor. It's not just a council member. It's really activating all these amazing leaders in the community to come up with answers. And one of the things that has just been so critical is getting information to people. Some people don't even know that they're eligible for some of these resources because they're in silos. They're not connected to a community-based organization of the city. Uh, and as a result, we're able to get the dollars that the federal government is allocating and we're getting into the hands of people who need it at this greatest time of need. There's more, but that's just a little taste of what we've been doing to try to make sure that nobody, nobody goes without during this most difficult time. That's awesome to hear, Tim. Farrell, what's happening in Irvine? What's your biggest challenge and how are you all confronting it? Yeah, thank you, Jen. It's such an honor to be here, um, both with Bobby and Tim. You know, Irvine is, is quite a particular city. Uh, we have about 280,000 people and we're growing. And at the same time, uh, we have quite a diverse community as well. So one of the first few things that I did was made sure that we had a COVID-19 task force set up and it included, um, you know, the executives of all of our hospitals, including mental health and pediatrics, to really help us with a foot guideline of where we wanted to go and how we wanted to handle not only the COVID crisis, but also when it came to the vaccinations, how we were going to reach out to our community members and make sure that we had um, information in language available to them. Because we do have about a 45% API community, and we want to make sure that they're understanding um, where we're headed, why we're vaccinating, and the importance of getting vaccinated. Uh, outside of that, you know, it's the economic recovery. You know, we also set up a business reopening task force, which included not only our chamber of commerce, but also our biggest players when it came to business in the city, uh, including our small business association, uh, making sure that we were looking at what our next steps were going to be. So one was making sure that, you know, the businesses that were already here were working to make sure they were following the guidelines. Because we did have a few restaurants that were offering, you know, indoor dining when we were being told not to have indoor dining. So uh, outside of these two um, task force, we came up with the Irvine Cares Initiative. And this is really getting the community involved. So instead of being punitive towards the community and businesses, we were trying to bring them together. And so this Irvine um, Cares Initiative was all about taking that pledge, like we're gonna do the right thing to get our community back on track, to get us to lower our case numbers, to help us um, lower our COVID-19 numbers and help us get into the idea of how do we get vaccinated, what the timeline is gonna be. And it's been great. I think after a few days of launching the program, we had about 85 businesses that joined in. And till now we have over um, 1000 people. It's only been a few weeks. We've had about over 1000 people that have pledged to do their part to keep our community safe. And you know, going down into the nitty gritty of things, Tim mentioned the food insecurity issue. It is so important for us to make sure that we're working with our local nonprofits making sure that we are taking care of not only food insecurity, but using our emergency CDBG funds to provide that emergency rent relief, emergency utility relief. And now the federal government and the state government's uh, new funding sources, we were actually able to bring in $17.7 million of rent relief for our community members. So really looking forward to rolling that out as well. Farah, thank you. And for this next question, I'm going to throw it to my co-host, the chair of the MPA program at Claremont Lincoln, Dr. Audrey Jordan. Audrey, go for it. Yeah, well, just listening to you all and the real-time decisions and choices you have to make and how in every case you've put together task force and partnerships and collaboratives of people, including community residents themselves. I'm just sitting here thinking, I can't wait for opportunities for you all to speak to the classes. We have classes in leadership 
uh, in the public sector and governance and managing and organizations. And then the whole idea of community engagement, I could just see. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself. I want to ask you all about what you're learning in terms of the challenges of uh, amazing historic point in time where we have a COVID pandemic, we have uprisings. And I'm just wondering how those kinds of things factored into your leadership and, and, and what that meant for how you engage all these various different people. Um, I guess I'll, I'll ask Bobby Singh, Mayor Singh Allen, if you'd like to go first. Certainly. I can go first twice. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, all good. You know, as a woman of color, I was born in India. I'm a proud Indian American immigrant, moved to this great country when I was four years old. And I'm the first directly elected Sikh woman mayor in the country, which is yes. a badge of honor and not something that the history that I was looking to make, but history was made. But I served on the Elk Grove Unified School District, which is the fifth largest school district in California for uh, about eight and a half years. And running as a woman of color, I'm proud to say that our community is very diverse. The API community represents somewhere in the mid, um, mid 30s uh, in terms of uh, percentage. And then we do have a very prominent uh, Latino community, Caucasian community, black community. It's very rich in its diversity, including the Native American community. We are just right outside of Sacramento County, the second largest city, um, about 180,000 right now, pushing on 200, I'm sure after the census. So a decently sized community. Our city council is diverse, and I'm proud to say that we have three members of the API community represented. But for me, I'm a champion for equity, and as a school board member, it's something that I have fought long and hard, not only making sure that different communities of color are represented in leadership roles, in management, in the teaching, in our hiring practices, that it really needs to be um, felt from the grassroots level. And so that means really doing all the things that we need to do collaboratively to sincerely work towards equity. And so that is something I bring that lens to the table and uh, that equity lens, which is very important because our student population, one of the most diverse in California, and we need to make sure that we represent the communities that we live in. And so I'm bringing sort of those leadership skills, but also the training the implicit bias training that needs to be experienced in all levels of government, because everyone has a level of implicit bias in their decision-making process. So it is important for me to make sure that that training is available. And so I'm a champion for that. I'm, I've gone through it as a school board member and other you know, various versions of, of the implicit bias training, which again, as leaders in, in our respective communities, I think that that's very important. So what I have learned that there are a lot of institutional barriers along the way. We see those institutional barriers in all aspects of our lives. We see it in education, we see it in housing and those barriers, we have to work collaboratively to overcome those. And so I'm a strong proponent of collaboration and not working in silos of excellence, if you will, but to truly break down those barriers, it's going to take all of us working together in the best interest of the communities we represent. I love it. it you, you lean into the diversity and that's the key. Mayor Khan, do you have any reflections on what you've learned as a woman of color leading in a time like this in, in your town? Absolutely. Um, you know, Audrey, it, I don't think I'd be sitting in the mayor's seat if it wasn't for the issues that arose in 2020 and having leadership at the time that dismissed them. And even, you know, in our city, our Black population is probably about 2%. Our Latino population is probably around 7 to 9%. So they're pretty low, but at the same time, these are community members that voiced their concerns, that voiced, um, you know, some sort of discrimination when it came to how they were treated and how they felt in the city. And the response from the leadership at the time was, if you don't like it in my city, you can find another city to live in. That wasn't okay with me. That did not settle well with me. And so in November, I remember bringing forward diversity, equity, and inclusion resolution because I wanted to see those changes start to happen at City Hall. And I couldn't get the support that I needed. So I pushed it out. I said, all right, we'll bring it back at a later time. And I'm so happy to say in the second meeting after I was sworn in, I brought that resolution back. It passed unanimously. And not only that, but we created a DEI committee based off of community members. 
that are really going to look at our policies and our procedures on how we can better serve every member of our community. We want to make sure that when it comes to hiring, are we doing our part to reach out to those community members that normally would not seek to find jobs at City Hall? And when it comes to contracting, are we educating our minority businesses and showing them exactly how it's done so they have that level playing field to apply for those contracts? And so really that's where it comes from is how do you change things from within to level that playing field for everyone, regardless of how many you have in your population, if even the most, you know, minimum feel that they are being neglected, that they are being discriminated against, that needs to end. And so for me, I think working on these policies is, is a key proponent of our cities moving forward and doing the right thing. Yeah. And how about you, Mayor Sandoval? Thank, thank you, Ms. Jordan. And, and thank you, uh, Ms. Singh Allen and uh, Ms. Khan uh, for your, uh, I mean, I'm just soaking it all up right now, right? Well, I am very, very fortunate to have grown up in Pomona. Uh, father was a school teacher and my mother was a housekeeper. And I grew up in the 80s at a time in Pomona where you had families fleeing civil war in places like El Salvador and Guatemala. You had a migration of Mexicans from the agricultural areas of Mexico into Pomona. At the time already, we had had an African-American population that had left uh, parts of L.A. in the 60s and had migrated to Pomona. And so it was in that context that I grew up. And so Pomona was a lot more diverse when I was growing up. And that made for a, an interesting experience, a special experience. And then I got to know kids who were uh, faced with different challenges and different experiences, would help, which would help to inform me much later on in life. Well, fast forward years later, uh, right after I graduated from college, I had the privilege of forming a nonprofit called Bright Prospect that helps kids from the community go to and graduate from colleges all over the country. And these are schools that kids had never heard of, Swarthmore and Amherst and Williams and Whitman College. And I mean, like, who's going to Walla Walla, Washington, right? Home of the Sweet Onions. Kids from Pomona didn't even know a school like that existed. We started with 12 students and we grew that program to over 3,000. And these are kids who are not only getting in, but they're graduating at a, over close to a 90% graduation rate. And so the reason I share this is because I really got to know families. I got to know working class families, immigrant families, so that when these challenges come up, right, you have these relationships that you've built over time to help address the issues that are important. So just two things. One, you know, in the midst of this pandemic, you had the killing of George Floyd and the killing of Breonna Taylor. While this pandemic is happening and protests are happening in our community, people are upset, people are angry, as they should be. And the question is, well, what are we going to do? And so what I know to do in situations like that is to try to use this voice, this platform, if you was mayor, to bring people together. So I convene, and keep in mind, Pomona is 6% African-American. It was a lot higher when I was growing up. And I brought a group of community leaders from the NAACP, uh, from people who were just helping in different aspects of community life. And I said, what do we need to do? You tell me what we need to do. And one of the things they said, Mayor, we need a space where we can introduce and bring our culture to this community. Because in many ways, they were very disparate. The leadership was disparate. Many had moved on to other cities. We had some new folks moving in. And so with, what I tried to do is identify a space for them over in our downtown. We actually had a place available to them. And we're just about to sign the contract for a dollar so that they can collectively utilize that space for music, art, culture, but also for political dialogue and to hold their elected officials accountable for policies and decisions that we make. And But they've also been critical in helping us get to the families that need the help. As you all know, there are families that are very well connected. They know how to maneuver. They know how to access resources. And I think what this pandemic has revealed is that if you are socially isolated, you pay an enormous price, enormous price in terms of your health, in terms of your finances, in terms of just overall quality of life. And it's forcing people to come out and we're trying to meet them where they're at is getting out in the pandemic now, right? Because we're not like exactly like knocking on doors and you know we're being mindful of that, but we wanna make sure we get them the information they need so they can make good decisions and that they know 
that there are people who are trying to help and to work on their behalf. Thanks. That That is some awesome responses. Uh, you know, as mayors, you're not just the head in policymaking, you're also the executive. And you are an executive over an organization. There's no question that COVID is presenting challenges to your organization. And they're new and unique challenges. How do you keep the morale up in your organization? How do you keep people, you know, not afraid to, to do their job, to come into work? Uh, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the people on your city payroll, they can't work from home. Police officers can't work from home. You know, sanitation, they got to go out. How are you all keeping the morale within your organization strong? And Farrell, let's start with you. Yeah, that's that's tough. I think one of the first things that we did when we were hearing about a lot of other cities in Orange County talk about layoffs and not being able to meet their budgets, we made sure that our employees knew that the last thing we were going to even look at would be laying off people. Like we would cut wherever we could in our budgets, in our projects. And our first and foremost goal was to keep everyone uh, and their employment intact. Not only that, but at the onset, it was, you know, getting the right PPE for the individuals that were working, making sure that they felt that they were equipped properly to do their job, especially in the beginning, because we didn't even know what was going to be enough um, for them, right? So making sure that uh, there was whatever we could do to provide that we were doing it, that we were making sure that we had in place in our storage enough for everyone that was out there doing their job. Not only that, but then also mandating the mask early on within our communities, letting people know that, hey, you know what, there are people that are not able to work from home. They're going to be out and about. And so in order to protect them, we needed our community to do the same. And so that was very important. And then throughout this pandemic, just reassuring them that their safety is our priority. And I think that's really what's kept us going strong right now is just making sure that they know that they were our priority, not only their employment, but their safety and their health and well-being. So everything that we could do to um, make those things happen, we were going to do. Tim, what about you in Pomona? Talk to me about morale within the organization. Yeah, very similar to Mayor Khan is um, because there were so many unknowns, people didn't know if Am I going to be laid off? Am I going to lose my job? Is as a result of people not going out and shopping in the ways that we traditionally shop, are we going to see a reduction in sales tax revenue? And and so there were real fears, at least you know as related to our city employees. And so with the city manager and our city finance director, we looked very closely at the numbers as they came in. And when it was clear that we were going to do relatively fine in this economic situation, this pandemic situation, we made it very clear that we weren't going to lay anybody off or furlough any workers. And that was an important message that we, we believe we needed to send to the employees. But the second thing is, is that we wanted to show them that we, we cared about them because we do, right? And we wanted to be flexible with work schedules. So we, we looked at all the positions and in looking at positions, where can people work from home? And so we know that more, if more people are working at City Hall or at the yard, uh, the likelihood of them catching COVID is greater. So we looked at everything very closely to determine who could work from home. If they're coming into the office, we were very quick to put in the necessary safety measures for the staff so that they felt good when they came in. So every step of the way, we tried to take steps to assure them that we cared about their health and safety. And I think that made a huge difference. And I think I can say that a lot of cities were really good about doing that. And, and I can tell you that in Pomona, those are just some of the steps that we took to reassure folks. Bobby, tell me about Elk Grove and, and morale within City Hall. Um, you know, it's not unlike what we just heard from my colleagues here in Pomona and in Irvine along the same lines. I think ensuring that job security was the most important aspect to make sure that, you know, the workforce didn't feel like they were threatened. And our budget process really does reflect our values. And we let it be known at the onset that we were here to make sure that they were safe and that their jobs were not in jeopardy. And I think in, in terms of creating morale, it's very challenging as it relates to COVID because we're all doing this remotely. So it's very hands-off to a certain extent. The majority of the workforce does work from home, but it's those regular communications that are instrumental in making sure that those lines of communication are important, that people feel valued, they feel seen, and they 
are important, uh, particularly as it relates to keeping our community safe. And so those regular communications, not only with the mayor and city council, but of course, with our chief executive, our city manager, and making sure that our employees continue to feel seen and feel heard and feel valued in the work that they do, which is very important. But it's those regular communications and checkpoints that are, are very necessary. And like I said, it, it does reflect our values in terms of the budget and our priorities. I'm coming into this as one of the newer ones. There were two elections, so we have two new um, mayor and city council members, and then three that were there previously. So transitioning into the morale, even as a new face, is also important. And what I learned through this process is that, again, going back to that critical component, communication, I made it a point to meet with every department to make sure that not only did I have a great understanding of what they do, but how it all sort of fits together into the bigger picture. So I think it's important for us to check in um, and really understand how COVID's impacted their daily routines. And bringing that fresh lens has actually helped because in these economic recovery, the business as usual was just literally like a checkpoint. It wasn't enough. When you have businesses and working families that are unaware of all of the resources, that is something that is our job to make sure that we don't just make something available on our website or through an, a newsletter, that it requires much more outreach on our part to make sure that they have the resources to succeed. So bringing that fresh lens, I think also has helped uh, a lot. And I, I can imagine maybe in other cities as well, you just, you have a, a new, I said, a new lens to look at how things are going and maybe identify some of the gaps that I think are also important. Thank you, Bobby. You know, one thing that I always wondered about was I don't necessarily think that it's new now, but being an elected office now for entering my third year, I've noticed that we're in this really challenging time of trust in government trust in government on scientific data, scientific recommendations. COVID has even amplified that. But we're in this really scary period where we've got to win people's trust. We've got to show the community that we have their best interests truly at heart. Tim, why don't I start with you? I'd love to hear from you, you know, specifically as it relates to COVID. Trust in government was always hard. But, but it's even made it harder. What do you think we can do as either counties or cities or agencies to improve on? Well, I think Mayor St. Ellen said it well. You can't wait for them to come to you, right? You have to be proactive. You've got to get out there and get out in front of people in the way that you can. And one of the ways to do that, in my view, is through partnerships. There are organizations that are doing some amazing work in the community that they themselves know they can't do it alone. But perhaps by working with the city, working with the school district, working with the Fairplex, working with the hospital, that we can do this together. And so uh, one, of the, one of the major issues that the city was facing had to do with the rental application process. It was an onerous application process, really in many respects a barrier. So rather than the city doing the final applications, or I should say help with the applications, we ended up hiring four community-based organizations in different to work in different quadrants to work directly with the community. And in sharing this with community members, they shared with the residents, this was a collaborative effort. And so I think that's really, really key is that part of how you build trust is by being accessible, being honest, all the things that we know that we value, but being present, right? Being willing to listen, being willing to understand and not feeling like you have to undertake that as city government. Draw upon the greatest assets in your community, build that trust, build those relationships, and go out together rather than just going out on your own. And that's just something that we've been doing. Even pre-pandemic, that was an effort that we've been doing for years. I just think we were well positioned to be able to respond to the pandemic as best we could because of those relationships that we had built over the years. Farah and Irvine, love to hear your opinion on the issue trust in government. Maybe COVID makes it even tougher. What do you think we should be doing to win back more of that trust from between government and with the community? I think, you know, Tim said it well, it's that being accessible. I think I've been more 
available now than ever before, just to make sure that, you know, people feel like they have someone they can reach out to. Not only that, but also like what Tim said, reaching out to our community partners, you know, reaching out to our Chinese cultural centers and our Korean American centers and doing town halls in partnership with them to get to the communities so that you're not just coming at them as a government official, but you're coming at them as a community member. You're having those conversations based on not your agenda, but what they want to talk about. So it's mainly just a quick update on COVID-related um, items, a quick update on the vaccines, and let's open it up to what the community wants to hear. And I think, you know, in this these past two months, I've had town halls with uh, several of our Chinese community members, our Arab American community members, and so many others, just to open that door up and, and, and kind of see where they are, what their needs are, and who's best to handle those needs. Because again, uh, we as city officials may not be the best person to handle those needs, but we can connect the dots and make sure that resources that are available are able to get to those that are in need of those resources. Making those connections is going to be very important. And that happens. The more open you are, the more accessible you are. Um, you know, I always laugh that um, next door is people that just are never happy. But I started just putting that information out there. And in the beginning, it was really horrible. I felt bad because the comments were really bad. But now, you know, after a month of just putting information out and just answering questions, it's really calmed down to where people are like, oh, thanks for sharing this information. And that's really where we want to get to. We don't want to shut ourselves down just because we're hearing or seeing negativity. We want to make sure that we continue putting that information out because the people that are the quietest are the ones that need to hear it the most. And that's who you're doing it for. Thank you, Bobby. Love to hear Elk Grove, trust in government, COVID amplifies this problem. What are you all doing and what do you want to see happen on this? Trust in government. What a loaded question. <laughs> Um, you know, I come from the standpoint, you know, way back when being on the activists and the, you know, just a resident standpoint, it's because of that mistrust of government that I rolled up my sleeves and wanted to be part of the solution. You can sit on the sidelines and complain and complain, or you can be part of the solution and actually break down those barriers where those suspicions come up. And so for me, it's a, it's leading by example that you build that trust in government. I ran my campaign on a theme called integrity, pause, literally a deliberate dot in there for a change. And that really should say everything of what kind of leadership we had in place prior to my election. And so for me, it is really important to lead on what I call good governance. And that is making sure that I'm always transparent, I'm held accountable into a set of standards. And I really want to make this an inclusive decision-making process. I don't think that uh, you build trust by having government mandating and talking at people, uh, but we need to be bringing them to the table and really listening to what they have to say. So I've kicked off my series, Coffee with the Mayor. It's a series of town halls throughout the community where I am listening to the community and hearing on the different issues from their point of view of what's important. We are dealing with one of the most controversial projects in Elk Grove. It's the building of a brand new hospital um, on a, in a community, in a neighborhood that is literally surrounded by a wildlife refuge, right smack in the middle of a neighborhood. And that's coming before hearings. It was very important for me to make sure that the community felt like they had a seat at the table and that they were part of the decision-making because my predecessor did not create that environment that built trust and confidence. And so using that as an example, we need to make decision-making and city hall accessible to the community because our values, what we do, the decisions we make really should reflect the community's input. So one of the first things I've, I've also asked for is for our city manager to put forth a series of surveys that go out to the community, not only available through the website, but electronic alerts, but expanding that level of engagement so that it's not the handful of people that you all know that show up at every council meeting are the, the ones that are always speaking. It's really going after the, the community that does not necessarily participate. I'm using the same sort of approach that I use as a school board member. When we wanted to have true stakeholder engagement, family engagement, you really need to go above and beyond the usual customary norms to get that kind of input. So my town halls right now, they're virtual, but we will have a number of others uh, once after COVID. But it's making sure that the decisions are also not political in nature. 
you know, that we're coming out of an election, one of the most divisive in, since I've lived. And I imagine for a number of you, it's been uh, a very divisive. And what can we do to not fuel that and fan the flames of that divide to find the common ground, which I think is so important, still hold true to your values and um, who you are, but also bring in others that maybe don't see eye to eye. I think it's very important to hear from those that I don't agree with because those are opportunities to learn and grow from one another. But I think breaking down our public policy decision-making that's not political in nature and really more of a pragmatical approach to City Hall. I think that that's very important. Uh, where that mistrust comes from is shady backroom deals connected to campaigns and things like that. That doesn't build confidence and trust. And that's something that I lit on. And I wanna make sure that I honor that uh, with the work that I do. Awesome, and thank you. And I'm gonna just make sure, Audrey, did. Did you want to jump in with one more? Yeah, Go for it. I, I'm going to riff a little bit off of what you were saying, Mayor Singh Allen, in your last comment and one before where you talked about, you know, business as usual just isn't going to cut it anymore. Status quo. And I mean, with the uprisings that we all live through as well, we know there's a great sentiment in our cities and towns up through states, the federal government that we have to, as Joe Biden says, build back better. We can't come out of the recovery and settle for normal. No, we need a more inclusive, anti-racist way of being. So with that setup, I guess I just want to hear each of you as people of color in your positions thinking, you know, what, what's one thing that you might be thinking about or, or planning to do that is a signal to people that no, we're not going back to business as usual. How about you, Mayor Sandoval? Yeah, thank you. When touched upon this a little bit, but when the George Floyd killing happened, it struck a chord in not only in this country, but all over the world. But we know from our lived experiences, this has been happening for a long time. This is very personal for me. I have a brother who was locked up when he was 17 years old and coerced into a confession and served 34 years in prison. This was back in 1980. And so for me, it was very real as to the issues that had been raised in the community. And so for me, when I think about all of the issues that are go back hundreds of years, right? And how do you begin to undo and to unravel all of that? The only thing I know to do is to bring people together to figure out how we're going to work together to solve problems. And I know that as much as our police department is trying to do the absolute best that it can do for this community, there's certainly a trust issue. And so one of the things that I did shortly after the tragedies that happened uh, there in Louisville and in Minneapolis is I convened a task force of, on police reform and accountability, is to begin to look at what we're doing in the city. What are we doing well? I have a good working relationship with our chief and our police department, but what can we do better? And there was a commitment from the get-go, even before all of this happened, to being the absolute best police department for the city of Pomona. And so this task force that I created was from members who have lived both at the, um, you know, who have strong opinions about our police. It wasn't just, hey, listen, can we just all get along and just continue to do things as they are? But how can we work together to identify the areas where we can improve and to transform the relationship between our police department, our public safety folks, and the community? And I know it's not going to happen in one meeting or six meetings. It's going to take time. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take money to make this happen. And so that's just one step that I think for at least us in Pomona was a critical step to take. And out of this will come recommendations from the task force that will ultimately go before the community and the city council. And we will have to make some decisions about our practices. And I'm committed to doing that. Thank you, Mayor Sandoval. Mayor Singh Allen, what do you say about the one thing that you do to send the signal? No, we're not going back. So I'll do it through an example of what, you know, similar to what Mayor Sandoval shared. The George Floyd killing was transformative nationally. And I, for the first time, you actually had Republicans feeling comfortable enough to say Black Lives Matter. That's an opportunity to have those uncomfortable conversations. 
it takes having those uncomfortable conversations because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. I'm proud to say that I not only marched for Black Lives Matter, this is before I was even a candidate, I was a school board member. I am known in my community to speak up and speak out when I see injustices. It is important for elected leaders to truly speak up in those moments and not be in a place of being silent and being there with the oppressors. So not just an example of George Floyd, but when we had our little children in cages, the Muslim ban, I can't sit in silence. Even though one person's living in Elk Grove, California cannot make the difference, I am the difference. You are all the difference because it's literally, we have to be that change. We have to be that voice and lend that lens that we see things and, and we're going to hold and push the envelope and hold people accountable. And our community looks to us, however uncomfortable it might be. I'm proud to say that I not only marched for Black Lives Matter, but I actually also got the endorsement of our Police Officers Association. And that can happen. That's where the change happens when you get two sides to sit down and understand and see each other. That becomes so transformative. I didn't expect to get it, but once I went down and talked about why Black Lives Matter and explained how I've seen the injustices as a school board member in education, that this wasn't a political soundbite or of some political club or a movement. It was a simple matter of fact. It should not be seen as political. Black Lives Matter, period. And once we recognize that, can we institute policies to recognize some of the changes that are needed? But it does require sitting down and creating those allies because we can all be ambassadors of advocacy and be activists, but we need those allies to create that change that we want to see policy decision-making. So I like to see parties come together and really work and see each other because that's where I think the real work begins. One of the first things when I was first sworn in, my very first meeting that I put out there that you know the mayor has the, the power to appoint boards and commissions, I asked for the planning commission, they all have to reapply because that is one of the most political seats, if you will, in our community. But it also sent the message that one, not only is there a new sheriff in town, but what I take very seriously is that equity lens that I talked about. Our current planning commissioners don't represent the community, don't represent the different parts of our community. So it's important for me in just a one simple snapshot of a community to show that what I take seriously and that is true representation on any board and commission that reflects our city because then that reinforces what our values are. So in just that small measurement, that to me, it sent a message throughout City Hall. But what was great is I do have the, the confidence of my city council colleagues to go, you know, to be part of a bigger vision and to really want to be better and do better for our community. Wow. Thank you, Mayor Singh Allen. And, and Mayor Khan, did you want to add something to this? You know, I, I love what my colleagues just stated. And same thing in Irvine. I think, you know, for me, when the BLM protests were happening in our city, all of which uh, our police department claimed were peaceful, a lot of families were coming out. We had kids in strollers coming out with their parents. But at the same time, me being there as a sole council member became an issue. And this is long before... I was even planning on running for mayor, I became the target of someone that was trying to incite violence in my city that was going against the police department. And that narrative really had to change. You know, for me, being at that protest opened the door of hearing directly from the community what their needs were. And we ended up having roundtable discussions with community members. We talked about equity when it came to education, when it came to housing, talked about people that lived in Irvine and how they felt treated by the police when they were pulled over. So one of our first roundtable meetings, I invited the police chief and the assistant chief to listen to this firsthand. And it was groundbreaking to hear from the police chief saying that he did not know this was happening. And so it's not until you have those communications, until you have those open conversations of hearing what someone is feeling and how they feel when you are pinning them um, or when you are pulling them over or when you are looking at them or their children a specific way, if you can't see that and acknowledge there's a difference there, then we can't make change. But it's when you acknowledge that, yes, you know, I did not know this was happening, but now we're going to fix it. That's when you start seeing the progress happening. And I loved what Bobby said about the commissions and committee members. 
you know, in 2018, when I first got elected to the city council, prior to me being elected, I was the first woman of color to be elected on the council, but we had an all white council. And right now we have a majority API council. We have three API members. And, you know, when I first got elected, I made sure that each and every member of my commission and committee that I was appointing to reflected our community. And so, you know, when they first came on, everyone was like, this is a totally different looking committee. And I'm like, yes, that's, that's the intention of it is, is to show that this is our, these are our community members and they're just as qualified, just as experienced to do the job. They just need to have that seat at the table. And that's why it's so important for us to not only build the policies and have these discussions, but provide those opportunities for people that normally would not get an opportunity to sit on a commission or a committee to be there and to voice their concerns. Wow, what a treat it is just to listen to you all. And I know that our listeners out there have just enjoyed this conversation so much. I can't wait for our students to hear from people like you and the positions you are, what models you are for them. And I can't wait to get you in the classroom to talk to them a little bit more about what you're saying. You know, this is our last question. We're going to wrap it up on this. With the end of COVID, hopefully in plain sight, we hear the words inclusive recovery a lot. And, you know, everybody has a different idea of what that is. I'd love to hear what you think is an inclusive recovery. What does that mean? If everybody's recovering in an inclusive way, how do we make that happen? How do we get there? And Mayor Sandoval from Pomona, I'll kick it off with you. And this is our final question, inclusive recovery. Jed, I want to make sure that I understand the question because the word inclusive means a lot to me. And I'm sure I know it means to Mayor Singh Allen and Mayor Khan. Right. I mean, right now, inclusive to me means I want to make sure that the vaccine gets the people who otherwise wouldn't be able to get to some of the mega centers, right? Bringing it into the communities. So there's that level of inclusivity, right? Which is real. This is about saving lives, right? The second is, for me, is housing, right? You know, communities can go through transformations. They can go through a renaissance, right? Uh, they can begin to change and look very different from what they were 10, 15, 20 years from now. And for me, what that looks like is that working class families in the city of Pomona have an opportunity perhaps to buy their first home or to live in an area that maybe historically they haven't been able to live in, right? It happens that in our downtown, we have a lot of parking lots that I want to see developed as inclusive housing. That you have families living in the downtown. Uh, you have uh, some of the young people that I talked about that I worked with, who I helped go to and graduate from colleges all over the country. I wanna see them come back because they're part of that important leadership. They're gonna be on a commission. They're gonna be that first entrepreneur right, that's opening up something that our community not, might not even be aware of, right? Uh, they're going to be the teachers. They're going to be our attorneys. We elected our first city council member from the Bright Prospect program, uh, who's a teacher. And so as we progress as a community that people are not left behind because they cannot afford to live as the community progresses. So that's for me, that's for me is critical. Farah, inclusive recovery. What does it mean to you and how do you want to see it happen? You know, I'll share some of the same sentiments as Mayor Sandoval. Inclusive means making sure that we're, when we're talking about, you know, getting back on track, um, bringing our economy back, that we're looking at every aspect of that economy, not just the big businesses coming back online, not just those folks that have been working from home going back to work. But what about those that lost their jobs? What are we doing to make sure that they are finding the jobs that they need? Uh, what about those that were barely making their rent? Um, what are we doing to make sure that they don't have, they're not carrying a debt from th this pandemic onward that's going to hurt them in the long run and possibly kick them out of the housing that they're in? And so, you know, when I talked about that rent relief program that um, we worked so hard in getting from the federal and state governments, that's really to clear that back debt that people have been deferring their rents with. So if you've deferred your rent, I want to make sure that as we get closer to ending this pandemic, that you're starting off fresh as well. You're not thinking about paying today's rent with months of rent to cover. That's where equity needs to come in. That's where we need to be inclusive, is making sure that every person in our city feels like they're getting back on track, that they have a fresh start, that they have somewhere to go, they have something to do, that they are not being left behind. 
So, Bobby, last leg of the relay, bring us home. Inclusive recovery. Bring us home. What, is... I'm running, I'm running. <laughs> what does it mean to you, inclusive recovery? I mean, not to echo the same sentiments, but equity is at the heart of this and making sure that uh, particularly our communities of color who have been the hardest hit um, statewide as in relation to not only job losses, but access to information, even the vaccine rollout. So it's making sure that all segments of our, of our community are taken care of. And so I'm hoping as part of the Economic Recovery Task Force recommendations does address some of this inclusive recovery is part of the, the blueprint that we get at the end. But you know, as a former school board member, I can't help but put students and families front and center in this. Um, the mental health and well-being of our students from, it'll be a year in about two weeks. Um, I was on the school board then, we were the first school district in California, if not the country, that closed down. And it was the right decision because we saved lives. But as we reopen and we reopen safely, it's to make sure that we account for not, you know, for some of the, the harm that's been created and really be able to allocate resources, which is gonna be at the heart of this, recourses to make sure that we can sustain this and truly recover. So that requires even advocacy at the state capitol to make sure there's adequate funding for our students, particularly for what they've lost out in, in this past year with their education. But that mental health and social emotional well-being really, really concerns me. I hear horror stories every day and I stay connected. But having government work together to make sure that when we take care of our community, it includes the broad community. It's including our teachers and our students to make sure that uh, we are being our best ambassadors and our best advocates. But a lot of this is going to require that allocation of resources. Allocation of resources, we have control of what we can from the city, but it also is going to take advocacy at the state level to make sure that we are doing all that we can to make sure that our communities and our families don't hurt any more than we have. So, but I have faith in just hearing my colleagues right now. You're all, I'm hearing here from the comments, you're all inspiring. I'm inspired by all of you and I'm gonna count on you. Um, so please send us each other's emails. I think we have them on the invite that you know we can pull from each other because that's what it's about. My community doesn't end on my border. When I think about working families and students, I think about all working families and students and all struggling businesses. So it's not us individually working in silos in our respective cities, but sharing our knowledge and information and uh, being able to use that to benefit all of us. So it's just a real honor to be here with such caring human beings. I'm just so proud and just humbled to be even a part of this. What an awesome panel. Thank you to the mayor of Irvine, Farrakhan, the mayor of Elk Grove, Bobby Singh Allen, and the mayor of Pomona, Tim Sandoval. Great to have you all on the JEDcast, part of the Leaders Who Learn podcast at Claremont Lincoln University. I am really looking forward to doing this again, everybody. Thanks again for the chat. Audrey, what an awesome interview with these three mayors. Love to hear your thoughts. What'd you think of it? I mean, Jed, to have these three people sitting here sharing the what they're doing in their cities kind of ripping off each other some and then sharing some of their personal stories the way uh tim sandoval talked about coming back to his home and and the situation with his brother and just the two women talking about being first but not being last and just the deep commitment you hear i was just so impressed and can't wait for our students and the rest of the public to hear. You know, Audrey, it's so funny. These three cities, they're so different. Elk yes. Grove, just outside Sacramento, Irvine, South Orange County, and Pomona. Yeah. You have three mayors from three very different cities. But you know, when you listen to them talk about the problems they're facing, hmm. there's one thing that they all come back to and they all have in common. If you want to be effective in leadership, you got to bring people together. You, you can't bring, go it alone. Indeed. You've got to bring different stakeholders to the table. You got to build consensus. And the point of leadership is not that you be the one who has all the solutions. It's that you bring all the people together and they together come up with the solutions. Absolutely. Um, some awesome lessons just from this conversation. Yeah. People who just, you can, it's dripping from them. Just this this sense of, of responsibility they have to bring folks together, to be in each other's shoes, to find the common ground. We heard that theme over and over and over again. And that's what it's about.
I'm really excited for this interview. The fact that we were able to have this outstanding conversation, not only just to be here personally, but but for the CLU students who who get to participate and listen, and all the people in the public out there who get to to learn about how these three mayors from very different places are dealing with this problem. So Audrey, awesome to be with you again. Really excited that we got to have this outstanding conversation with the three mayors from our MPA Advisory Council here at Claremont Lincoln University. And with that, really looking forward to our next episode of the JEDCast. Take care, everybody. <music>